Hi, today I'm here with Alex The Pledge, co-founder of resi.co.uk, an online architecture platform, and Dave Hill, curator of Dave Hill on London. So, in the London market context, um, we see a number of issues at the moment. While house price growth seems to be slowing down for the UK as a whole, the London market is a more interesting place. I'm going to open the question up firstly to Dave. Um, so we see that house price growth has been slowing down. Um, is this the case for London specifically? Well, it's certainly there's been a fall off, and this has been around for a while, in the very, very top end of the market, which is why we, we uh, see... Uh, some of the some of the larger development schemes not really happening in what they call prime or super prime central London, but uh, I believe there has been a slightly different pattern in the more outer London areas uh, where things have been growing relatively strongly. Why is that? Well, I don't exactly know the answer to that, but I would have thought it was because more people want, are finding that either they want to live there or it's the only place they can afford to live. And so demand must be increasing in those areas and we see prices growing. And uh, why wouldn't you? Because it's very difficult to get people to build more stuff out there anyway to meet demand. That seems to be the logical market forces kind of answer. So do you feel like we're seeing potentially a shift in where prime central London is so the typical classic luxury postcodes of Mayfair are shifting further out, or is it actually because of what people can afford now, it's more acceptable to move further out to outer London boroughs? Well, I think Kensington is always going to be a bit posh, don't you? Um, but we did see a little while back, I believe, uh, people... Uh, you know, the, 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 those, those folk devils, the uh, overseas uh, investors starting to buy bits of Islington or, you know, bits of not right in the very centre um, for a while, um, either because the, the, the super prime stuff was too expensive or everything that they, they kind of fancied had gone. <laughs> I don't really know why it was. But we're obviously seeing some... some we're seeing a, a kind of spectrum of changes, uh, and uh, there are there are pros and cons to that. Obviously, in some ways, um, if if it's becoming a bit easier to uh, to to buy places, or if people are beginning to start looking a bit further afield, um, you know that is good for some people. It, it, it's not. It's not good for others. I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting. There's a lot of, I think, rather sort of uh, simplistic narratives about why people move, floating around. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of the the big media are very excited about the idea of a London exodus, you know, and people fleeing. And uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got you know the whole the whole social cleansing thing. I hate that term, uh, whereby it is alleged that all the poor people are being driven out. And then we're also seeing the middle-class exodus because people can't afford to buy houses and they're all heading out into um, the home counties and what have you. Um, a lot of this is a lot of uh, is utter rubbish. Um, the uh, exodus of people uh, to buy either from the centre towards the suburbs or beyond... That has been a feature of London demographic movement for decades and decades and decades. It has always gone on. Um, the, the relatively higher numbers of people we've seen in the last few years 
Yes, that is striking, but if you look at what the GLA commentary on those statistics, they will tell you, and if you look at the numbers, it's true, that actually you can, you can see that as just getting back to where we were in 2009 when the crash happened. So we're just seeing normal happening. And also, there will be some people who have been thinking of selling their house and moving to somewhere bigger, a bit further from the centre for a while, and they're thinking, better do it now because house prices are falling. So it's not necessarily an unprecedented thing and everybody's being driven out because it's too expensive. There's a whole lot of, a whole lot of reasons why this is happening. So I'm not quite sure uh, how this relates to your question, but it's a, it's a complicated picture is what I would say. No, it's definitely... I think I would definitely agree um, with what Dave's saying. Um, I just add a few other points to that, which are... Um, there's a there's a kind of convergence of factors around the housing market that have kind of we've reached peak difficulty. Um, it's hard to get as much harder now to get a mortgage than it was ten years ago. People are not downsizing because it costs too much to leave their big home, so the larger housing stock is not becoming available. Um, added to which help to buy is driven up the cost of first-time homes. And then the final factor that's um, swirling around is the fact that um, it's actually cheaper in many respects to put a loft on or an extra bedroom in many locations than move. And if you think about how attractive that is, um, let's not give the government 50 grand in tax. Let's instead invest it into our house, get an extra bedroom, avoid having to move, avoid solicitors, avoid an awful housing chain and paying 1% or 2% of your sale price. So suddenly extensions and renovations seem a much more attractive game. Um, and if you look historically over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, the improvement sector, or what I'd call the improvement sector, has tracked very closely the amount of transactions in the housing market. So 15 years ago, it was not unusual to see 2 million houses transact in a year, and now that's around a million. Um, and the renovation sector, as usually, was much below that 2 million, and then it sort of hit parity not so long ago. Now what we're actually seeing is more people are choosing to extend or renovate than they are to sell or buy, if you like. So there's actually a bit of a logjam across the entire system, which is not explained easily away. Um, but what's happening is we've just got basically a complete blockage in the housing market. So that's why you're also seeing the housing market cool, because people's incentives or priorities are changing. Okay, so it's a question of moving, not moving out, but building out instead. Now, I'd like to push that back to Dave and see what what do you think about the idea of building out rather than moving out as a solution? Is it a sustainable solution as well? Well, I can see from what Alex just says why, why it's a, a logical thing for people to do. It's a logical choice to make given, uh, given the, 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 the sort of general climate out there at the moment. I mean, what it, makes me, what it makes me think about, actually, is one of the more novel solutions that, that some people suggest to increasing housing supply, which is this whole thing about adding an extra floor to buildings. Or and, two, if or, you listen to the government <laughs> at the moment. Or, you know, quite a lot of people are saying this is a good idea. And if you wander around the city um, with people who know an awful lot about history of, of how things were built... You know, sometimes they surprise you by saying, "See that? See that? Uh, that used to be a, a floor lower." You know, you know, it's been mm. done before. So there are lots of things you can do. I mean, that you, it sounds like a cop out, but when people who really, really know their stuff 
talk about, you know, how do we solve London's housing problems? Well, they say, you know, there is no one solution. There are lots of them. And you sort of want to know, well, why aren't we trying them all then? You know? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think you only have to look at sort of the onset of the Georgian era. Sorry, I'm a bit of a history buff about this stuff. But that's when we became uniform in our approach to urban planning. So that's when you get the lovely crescents, the symmetrical windows. You know, basically the most coveted house in the UK is a Georgian terrace. And if you look at the composition of a Georgian terrace, it is partic- it's about four or five storeys. Now look at the housing stock from the kind of 40s through to the kind of 80s two stories so it's not it's not foolish in any way shape or form to say we should be building with a cellar included and there should be another two floors on top right that's actually how we've always done it um and it was only kind of with the advent of cheaper house building that you started to get um less imaginative should we say housing so I, you know, I'm I'm kind of in favour of this idea of being able to put an you know an extra story or an extra two story on top of houses when there's a precedent in that area. Um, my concern would be um, how that's executed in planning policy because I think we all know that if there's one thing that could add a couple of billion to our economy is if we actually sorted out how we regulate the open environment unblocked a lot of the things that are blocked and made some things easier but also more things consistent and uniform because that's one of the biggest problems we have across London is actually all of our boroughs are much much more powerful than our mayor and none of them talk to each other (laughs) and so you can get streets that have got great precedent set and then others that's completely disregarded because of Bob in the planning office who doesn't feel like it on that day. And to me, in the world, this world of data, um, I think we should be doing a lot more in terms of, of getting the foundations right by applying data and then using a bit of ingenuity on top of that that comes from the creativity of, of, of well, not necessarily me and Dave, but, you know, mm-hmm. people who know more. <laughs> would you would you, would you you agree? Are you getting the same impression in your bit of the forest as I'm getting in mine, which is that there is... Are we in a forest? <laughs> It's a, listen, it's a jungle out there. <laughs> so that there has been, in, in relatively recent times, a, a bit more of a consensus growing amongst the huge range of, of players in the in the housing field about the need to get on with it a bit more. You know, so yeah. you've got employers getting worried about the lack of affordable housing for the sorts of people that they want to give jobs to absolutely you've got you know you've got uh, all the all all the boroughs nearly uh, are, are kind of worried and would like a bit uh, to build a bit more so everybody's saying we've got to do something about this but it's sort of your point about the boroughs not talking to each other enough there are all these other people as well who aren't talking to each mm. other quite enough um and you sort of feel that you know the it, but like you know the truth is out there you know the solution is out there but there are there are also these enormous political problems, and there, and there, I remember yeah. reading a very uh, uh, short, blissfully short, but learned report by Shelter and Quad, the consultancy, uh, during the mayoral election campaign of 2016, which basically said we got to do if we if we want to get housing supply up to the level which at that time people were talking about 50,000 more a year Sadiq saying it's got to be more than that yeah. so you have got to do a lot of things that are unpopular and some of those things have become even more unpopular so we talk about you know knocking down housing estates and building at twice and three times the density that's always problematic there's always been opposition to it and that opposition my sense is actually becoming bigger mm. and it's becoming 
quite a problem for people in the Labour Party in particular. And the other thing, the great taboo, is the green belt. Yeah. People have been saying intelligent things about the green belt for a long time, like, isn't it about time we thought about what is what what sort of stuff is in the green belt that we actually need that, and what don't we need? Yeah, what do we need? We know, why do we want need all this intensive farming? How many pony clubs do you need? How many golf courses? Because it's actually a lot of it is golf course. You said golf courses. I You're know, very how brave. Dare I? <laughs> but, I mean, it's really interesting. There's a study, and I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but they. It was like McKinsey or one of the brain boxes. Um, 1.6 million houses can be built tomorrow on the green belt that were within 800 metres of, Lon- of a transportation link in and around London, which is about 10 times more than we actually need. And yet on Brownfield, that can't be done. And also, you know how much Brownfield costs to clear up. But I just, unfortunately, I'm sure we're not going to change it in this room today. But unless we find a politician that shows some element of leadership, of which I've not seen very many recently, um, well, no one's going to expend the political capital to push some of this stuff through. And it is going to take pushing it's, and dragging. It's not going to be, a, oh, come by our, oh, this is a great idea let's all go for it we will have to stand up against some of the people that don't want this to happen of course, some it won't green, be very pleasant some green belt isn't very green but it's also this this symbolic thing so it's a, you can see it now in the build up to the elections uh, some of the outer london boroughs it's mainly the conservatives saying it to their to their base Hey, have you seen that plan that the that the Labour politicians have got? They want a concrete over our green belt. They want to do this. They want to, you know, the the, the whole. Yeah. And we see it recurring over and over again. The green and pleasant land. It's deeply symbolic. You know, it's a visceral thing. It's going to be destroyed by building, and uh, and it's a very difficult thing to get around. And uh, you can see why politicians who might think, they look at the numbers and they think, this is mad, you know, but then they realise that it's just to even, uh, you know, stick their head above the parapet and say, maybe we should rethink some of the Greenbelt a little bit. They're just going to get grief for it forever. Well, let's find a one-term politician and that'll solve it, won't it? (laughs) Someone who's not looking to run again. Mm. Well, I can't, to be honest, I can't find a better way to conclude than that. The reality is that when we're dealing with a housing crisis, and the solutions that come from that, it is, as Professor Philip Ormondinger said, a political football. And there are lots of potential solutions. The reality and issues here are political will and the solution that we choose. So we could deal with greenbelt issues or whether to reimagine that as a green wedge, as they do in many European countries as well. We could think about building inside if we can't go out. Um, and some of those have been talked about today so thank you very much thanks